another edition of the Unicorns Podcast. This is a podcast series featuring business leaders, motivators, innovators, and general go-getters. Well, it's been a busy start to the year for the cyber defence industry. The pandemic and the conflict in Ukraine have put a spotlight on Australia's critical infrastructure and its supply chains. And to the recent news that Toyota has had to halt operations thanks to a supply chain attack is a warning to all that there needs to be more done by governments and private suppliers. A company on the ASX pioneering the way in all things information security is Arctis. Its stock code is AR9 and the CEO, Daniel Lai, joins me now. G'day, Daniel. Welcome to the program. Justin, thank you for having me. Okay, let's get into it. What is Arctis? What is Arctis? Arctis is an information security company and and Arctis stands for Architected Trusted Information Sharing. And we realised on uh, very early on from our work with the Australian Department of Defence uh, sharing cl- highly classified information between the US and Australia that with the digital transformation that was coming, that not only government-to-government information sharing of sensitive and classified information, but industry-to-government for support of those um, outcomes the government was seeking, whether that was national security or economic or anything else, and the applicability of that through the digital supply chain globally for protection of intellectual property, sensitive information, manufacturing, pharmaceuticals, that there was a real requirement here to look at how to safeguard that information and enable it to be shared to drive the global economy. And that's what we focus on solving. So tell me about your background and how you came to found Arctis. Look, my background and the, and the founder's background of, of Arctis was really, we. I was uh, the inaugural director of ICT security for the Australian Customs Service. And, you know, when I was looking at that, and I came prior to that, I was in the the wine industry and the music industry. Um, And the music industry was the first one affected by the internet. People remember Napster. And how do we control that and still make a commercial gain out of it? How do we put music online safely? How do we do commercial transactions with Visa accounts? Um, So, so look, all of that I I, I grew up in and came through and ended up as the director of ICT Security for Customs. Um, The other founder was part of the Australian Signals Directorate and came from a military background. Uh, And uh, the third partner was uh, a defence account manager for a large multinational. But really, that background taught me one thing. I, I went in and looking after intelligence networks and feeds to the Department of Immigration, Australian Federal Police, we have this thing called swivel chair integration, where I take information from one network, I swivel in my chair and type it into another network, and then I swivel to my chair and type into another. And I went there, my business business just said, yeah, well, uh, all sneaker net, you know, we put it onto a thumb drive and walk across the room and put it in something else. Now, you wouldn't believe that today that still exists. So, and that's because everything is controlled by the network and these networks need to be air-gapped. And we just went, there has to be a better way. Now, why are we an information security company, which is a sector of the cybersecurity industry is this. We believe that the most valuable asset is actually the information. That's why people hack you in the first place. So let's, how do we protect that data and make it self-protecting 
so that wherever it goes, it can be managed and controlled under your terms and conditions. So even if they breach the network, such as the issues which have happened with Log4j and others, the data itself, they can't get to unless they know, have all the rights to get to it. And so that's what we've been doing now for, you know, around 15 years. And most recently started this commercialized journey to, to expand the business and grow the business since 2019. And so give us some history of um, Arctis on the ASX. Uh, when did you list and, and how's it gone? Well, we... You know, Australians are excellent mining investors. They're fantastic. <laughs> yes, that's true. They're still learning how to be great technology investors. And, and it's not dissimilar to mining where, you, you know, you go out and you do your surveys, you get certain information, you raise some money, and then you go and do the, the next run, which is, you know, you do your testings and your drillings. And, and then you go and you look at your investments for, for building the capital to do the deployment for the actual mining itself. Tech companies go through a similar journey. Everyone thinks that a unicorn happens overnight, and it just doesn't. There's a lot of infrastructure to be laid. There's a lot of um, wins to be had, and, and there's a lot of building up of that business. So we're very cognizant that we have to build a sustainable business, particularly when trust, and you know, our motto is to we're trusted to safeguard the world's most sensitive information. And that's not a claim. That's what we do. We, we are very entrenched in the Australian Department of Defence and intelligence agency. So, so we take that very seriously. So we have to make sure that we're doing it correctly to build a, a strong, sustainable business. But where it's exciting for shareholders is we're taking this outside of those that defence industry into other sectors and we're very focused on global growth uh, and accessing the US market and the EMEA market, the European Middle East and African marketplace. And that's what we're currently investing in. Okay. And so... When people think about what Arctis does, what's the difference between securing collaboration on information and cybersecurity? Yeah, look, a lot of investors want to invest in, in, in cybersecurity. There's so much talk. Every day we're seeing new breaches. I mean, on Monday, the Australian Cybersecurity Centre uh, sent out an announcement to critical uh, infrastructure businesses that they have to upgrade their security for this wave promised wave of attacks from Russia after the, the events in Ukraine. Um, you know, a couple of years ago, we had Prime Minister Morrison talking about 300% increase in cyber attacks from state actors to on Australian uh, industry and commercial and political interests. And we saw that with the ANU hack, Parliament hack. So the, there's, there's a lot of tailwinds here. I think there was a, a trillion dollar loss to cybercrime um, last year. I think they're estimating a $6 trillion loss by 2026, which would make it the third largest GDP. Um, so, so look, it, it's a massive industry. There's lots of investment going on. There's lots of legislation forcing investment in the marketplace. Um, so let's break that down for people to make it really simple. I think that's, that's, that's important. There's three key areas to the cybersecurity marketplace. There's manufacturers of products and cybersecurity controls such as firewalls, antivirus, routers, um, you know, threat analysis uh, applications, um, risk compliance. Um, and, and those products you put into your cybersecurity environment or, or your security environment and you use them. So they sell on, on, on a product. There's the consulting business, which run on time and material. So they come in and tell you what you should put in and how you should use it and how you should tune it and what the report should say and what you should do about that report. 
We're very, very different. As an information security company, what we do is p- apply access controls to your data itself, not the network, not the device, to the data. And we put policies around that data, one or more, depending on the risk profile. So we do contextual access. So if I'm sitting in the Qantas club and I open up my phone and it says, go and see this data, and I'm using the Qantas Wi-Fi network, I will get only get publicly available information because it's an untrusted network. If I then get on my flight and I land in Hong Kong and my company says you can't access any data from, from China in case it gets intercepted and taken, I don't get access to my information. When I land in London and I walk into the office um, and it's our office and, and it's secure, I get access to all the information. So context for risk, policies to apply the access, and, and, and then making sure that information is dynamic. And this is important for one reason. It makes security invisible to the user, it makes it contextual. So however I access it, I have a different risk profile and I get to view that information dynamically differently. And it's validated every attempt of access. And that's really, really important because we're seeing this wave of legislation, particularly in the US, uh, called zero trust architectures. Now, what does that mean? Zero trust means I verify and validate every attempt at access in context, and I only provide them when that context is permissible to provide access to that information. So the only way you can implement that, and Joe Biden provided an executive order back in uh, May last year saying that the whole federal government of the US needed now to be um, zero architected enabled and the the US federal government has just announced its strategy to do that and it's spending 880 billion dollars over the next few years to enable that to happen. The only way you can achieve that is through policy enforced attribute based access control which is a data centric security and that is what we do. We're one of a handful of companies that does that and has been doing that for a long time. So who are your main customers, Daniel? Ones that, ones that you can mention. Yeah, that, that is part of the issue because there's a lot of customers we can't talk about because we're a security company and they don't want people to know what their security posture is. But we do have a number of customers. So just starting the Australian government, we have the Attorney General's Department. We have the Department of Defence. We have the Office of Australian Information Commissioner. Um, so, you know, those are, they're pretty, um, you know, the Aged Care Royal Commission was done across our platform. Um, so, so sensitive people coming in and collaborating on information uh, that is sensitive from different areas. And of course, this has all been driven by the, the pandemic and the remote uh, workforce, which is, is not going to change. Um, so other, uh, they're Corning. Corning, most people wouldn't have heard of, but it's a $15 billion company which does the smart glass on any smart device. So your phone has a bit of Corning technology. We protect that. Now, one of the largest toy manufacturers in the US has just uh, acquired a, uh, a license to protect um, their manufacturing. Why? Because when a, a blockbuster coming out of Hollywood needs toys manufactured for the McDonald's um, Happy Meals, they can't have anyone knowing who the characters are. I'm not, I'm not joking. These are the sorts of things that we're doing. DHL, um, you know, uh, in, in Europe, they, they use us. NTT uh, currently uh, selling us. So, so all of these things um, are big names. Uh, State Street, large 
one of the top five financial institutions in the US, um, Care First, healthcare. So we're across multiple industries that are, are, are anyone who's got sensitive information and needs it secured, that's a lot of people. Um, you know, we do, um, we secure the King Abdullah Center for Atomic Research and Energy in Saudi Arabia. What's that? <laughs> Goodness. Well, of, of course, all the plans for nuclear power plants. Dear idea. So, so our technologies, when we say we are trusted to secure the world's most sensitive information, we wouldn't. You really mean it? Not a byline. We are doing it. And this is the growth sector. So, given that your technology cuts across basically all aspects of the economy, what, what is then the potential market opportunity for Arctis? Well, you can just imagine what it is, can't you? So right now we've been expanding since 2019, breaking uh, this, you know, what we call crossing the chasm, uh, where we get, um, you know, early adopters, build reputation, happy customers, and then have a networked effect because it protects collaboration platforms. One of the strongest areas of growth that we see coming for us is the Microsoft Alliance that we have built over the last um, 12 months. Um, the company we acquired in the US, which was um, Nuclear Cyber, that's, their product is called NC Protect. Um, it applies that granular contextual access for the entire Microsoft business application suite. So teams, um, Office 365, um, you know, your emails, uh, your Yammer, all of these um, Dropbox. So, so we see a massive opportunity for growth in that space across financial services, government and defence, healthcare, manufacturing and pharmaceuticals. Now, what, but what we need to make sure is that we're doing that in a sustainable way and, and preparing for the growth so that we can be successful. Uh, and that's what we've spent the last, you know, really 12 months doing, investing in, in global infrastructure, contracts um, in different jurisdictions, salespeople. We expanded from 1.5 sales of FTEs here in Australia two years ago to now 12 globally. That Microsoft Alliance is, is special because it's a co-sell agreement, which not many companies have. A co-sell agreement means we walk in the door with Microsoft salespeople and those salespeople get quota relief for selling our product because they're incentivized because they get greater consumption of Microsoft products. That's that's really important because you, you're now tied to the hip for the benefit of the client and the benefit of the sales um, and consumption for Microsoft. You mentioned the acquisition of Nuclear Cyber. How did all of that come about? It was really interesting. We were doing this selling Cogency, which was our premier platform, which came out of defense and we commercialized for government to government industry to government and that's really what's attracting that defense industrial base so we've got that 274 billion dollars being spent by defense 15 billion dollars of that in the next 10 years just on information so uh, cyber security um, and and that money is being driven through to the manufacturing industry here in australia and that's growing rapidly and they need to be compliant and we're offering that shared service platform called cogency to secure their information where they don't have to do anything except log on and and, and put the information in there now nc protect um as i said is it's more of a product which sits in the microsoft azure stack and then does obfuscation applies those rules to their their microsoft investments and licenses now, how that all came about was uh, an investor rang me and said, listen, um, I've got this company I'm looking to invest in. Here it is. Check it out for me. And I checked it out. Take a look at it for me. And you thought, hang on. <laughs> I, I went, hang on, this is cool. 
Uh, so I ring Kurt Muffelman over there in the US, who's the CEO of Nuclear Cyber, and we start chatting. And, and I said, look, uh, this, I think this has got some legs. You're like the filler shave guy. I like the company so much. <laughs> I bought it. That's right. Well, I did. So I said to my sales guy, I'm getting a, I'm, let's do a reseller agreement. You've got one month to go and sell this and tell me how we go and implement it. And he did. And then I rang Kurt back and I said, this is cool. I think we've got some synergies here. And he said, well, I do too. So let's put our tech guys together, give them one week to go bang heads together and tell us the art of the possible. Then we put the marketing team together and said, how would we sell this? Then we put the sales team together and said, how, you know, how would we price this and sell? And by the end of it, the value proposition was not you're worth this and I'm worth this, so let's go. It was, holy crap, the potential of this is X. So her ended up and joined for 100% script. He, we didn't pay any cash into that business. He went... I'm here to drive this share price. This is fantastic. The opportunity is massive, but we're going to have to build the company. So we did a, a capital raise off the back of that back in uh, 2020. 20, yep. And then we did another capital raise in 21. So we've got, you know, for a company that's, you know, sitting around a market cap of about, you know, 54 million, we've got 12 and a half million in the bank. Um, our AR up has grown, our annual recurring revenue, which is the engine room, is you know, has grown 100% from last year. Our revenue has grown 108% from the previous comparative um, period. So, you know, we, we are in the world's toughest business environment still growing. And we've gone from 14 people to 54, and, and we can't see this stopping. But we're really focused, as I said, on growing globally so that we can access that Europe and, and US market. And that's where we expect the future growth to come from. And so looking at the US market, what are the differences between the US and the Australian markets? Because you've, you've got a unique uh, vision there. You can you can shine a light on, on both. So what, what are some of your observations about um, the differences between how things work in Australia and, say, in the US? Look, I, I think the US used to be, uh, you know, very much um, enamoured with the, 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 their world leadership, I've got to say. I think they've been woken up in the last few years. I mean, the rise of China has really shaken the US. The intellectual property theft alone, you know, is massive. Their, their focus on cybersecurity, and we talked about the Biden uh, executive order about zero trust. We've spoken about the movement, the $880 billion being spent on, on, on cyber uplift in the, in, in the federal government there. Um, but their industry base is now, you know, very much awake to this as well, particularly after the, you know, the last cyber attack with the oil supply chain. Um, you know, these are real effects. Ukraine has come up and, and, and what this is now about is forcing Australia and the US even closer together. And they're looking for the smart ways that Australia does things because Australia doesn't have those huge budgets. We don't have that many people. We have to be smarter with our technology. And that technology is providing a competitive advantage, which the US is now seeking to, to leverage off. So I think there's fantastic synergies between Australia and the US. And if anyone doesn't think that we are not in an arms race with that defence industry spending and intelligent agency spending, they're crazy. I mean, just look at what Germany has announced with the issue of the Ukraine increasing their, their expenditure to 2% of their GDP uh, for for secure, national security. Um, and the, the number one strategic objective and advantage that the US has to those autocratic 
powers such as China and Russia is it its ability to form alliances. And that brings in a different problem. How do I share sensitive and classified information at varying levels of trust to those partners? So you've mentioned Ukraine. Can you offer an observation from, from afar about the possibilities, if any, for, for Arctis in, in this you know, global conflict? Is, is, there, is that too long a bow or is that... Not at all, not at all. I mean, we, we, in 2017, sorry, 2018, we were invited as the first Australian company to NATO to, to demonstrate our products to their uh, combat warrior interoperability exercise. Um, so, so NATO is very well aware and, and, and was using us as a use case of how they will move to data-centric security. In fact, the architects in NATO are now using some of our uh, proprietary diagrams to explain it to their, their chiefs. Now, you think of NATO and the number of uh, countries there. They have that problem. They're still doing swivel chair integration. So, so how do they become data-centric? Now, we, we have a number of alliances. Microsoft is one, but we have alliances also with Raytheon and Talus. Now, just think about TALUS for a moment. You know, Europe's largest um, defence prime headquartered in France, leading the NATO initiatives. So recently we signed uh, what was called the Nexim Cloud Edge Agreement where um, TALUS is now uh, selling our products to, to in Europe uh, through the, their organisation. So we've just finished, completed building a, a demonstrator of how, so that they can demonstrate how our products work to their clients in both Europe and Canada. Um, so, so those are the sorts of initiatives that we have invested in over the last 12 months. We have really put our head down to get ready for the wave of demand that, that we see, um, that we, the opportunity presents itself globally. So you've mentioned some of those big players like Talos, the primes. So how, how does Arctis, a smaller player, in all of that, how do you compete and grow? As I said, it, it's primarily through our, our partnership and alliance programs. So Mike, we, we will never have a Salesforce the size of Microsoft. We'll never have the trusted relationships into the places that Microsoft can go. Um, so we align ourselves with Microsoft and naturally extend our capability through that COSIL agreement and partnering with them and working seamlessly with them. That, now, that's why we invested in that. Um, Raytheon and Talos. They're global companies. Uh, their network growth effect, their supply chains are massive. So if we can, when we, um, you know, can implement this into, so, and I'll give you another good example, Northrop Grumman. Northrop Grumman initially acquired um, our, our licenses for cogency to, to securely share information with the Australian Department of Defence for tenders. They're now expanding that to, to other countries and, and other licenses and other opportunities. So we are seeing, I think our churn rate last uh, is currently at 0.1%. So once you're in these places and securing that this sensitive classified information, you're not going anywhere. But then because that information does need to be shared, those licenses naturally grow. When So we have a sell-to, sell-through strategy with those alliance partners. Dan, I'm keen for your thoughts and observations on the pandemic because your solutions make it possible for remote workers to, and you mentioned it earlier, collaborate on sensitive information, but do it securely. So, you know, wind the clock back a couple of years when the pandemic hit, how did Arctis 
deal with all of that. And I'm keen to know your observations on how the company capitalized, for want of a better word, on on the remote working phenomenon. Well, we are one of those unique companies which has been able to innovate and grow through what you know anyone would consider you know some of the hardest economic times that we've had. For us, because where we play, the, the pandemic changed remote working. Now, we already had remote working before the pandemic, but it really accelerated its adoption. And what the pandemic and remote working does is takes information outside the security of the office into the cloud and onto your local home computer or your phone or the kid's iPad when you're you know, working and you look something up and, and all the rest of it. And so therefore, that provided a new security challenge. Our information now is everywhere accessed by multiple applications, whether that's Slack, Teams, you know, Dropbox. I use them all. We all use them all because it's convenient. Well, how do we, how does this, from a, an enterprise view, how do we know where our data is, whether it's sensitive, and are we protecting it? And as I said, GDPR legislation, uh, international trades and arms regulation for, for, for the defence industry, um, compliance for government agents, this, this becomes a massive problem. And, and the digital transformation or that fifth industrial state promise that digital technology was going to increase productivity and, and, and change the world was accelerated. And so we started um, the pandemic, uh, you know, with basically uh, 12 people. In At the end of that first uh, 12 months, I think the share price was around about five cents. So, you know, we went from there to um, to a situation where... You're more than 50 now. So that's right. We're, we've increased to over 50 people. Um, we've had one sales FTE. We've now increased that to 12, and, and we're seeing that pipeline grow significantly and we're looking forward to the results of that uh, coming, uh, you know, that that closing and that engine being switched on, particularly in that, those global um, jurisdictions. Um, and so so we have grown significantly. And, and that is why uh, so there was six, I'll give you a good example for the opportunities for NC Protect. Um, NC Protect, the, in teams when the pandemic started, there were 65 daily, uh, 65 million daily users of teams. There's now 125 million daily users of tools. So, and and how they've rolled this out so fast. The second question has obviously followed, which is, how are we securing this? And that's where where some of our market opportunities really being driven from. And so, so it's been good to us. So then, on that, let let's look ahead um, to find out where Arctis is headed. What's what's next for the business? Well, really, it's about turning the engine room on. Um, you know, like I said, we've put in the global infrastructure. Uh, we've got the sales team building their, their capacity and their pipelines. We've been building our alliances and our partnerships, and it's really getting that to execute. So, um, you know, and, and execute uh, not just in Australia, but pro- turning it on outside of Australia and, and generating the majority of the revenue from uh, that global market, not just in Australia. Um, and, and that's really what we're focused on doing because the annual recurring revenue. And we sell our products with an annual license per user um, and with that low churn rate and the stickiness of this product because it's a security in the security market and those global drivers and legislative drivers, 
you know, we think we've got a once in a lifetime opportunity to, to really grow the business. And, and that's what we're highly focused on. And final question, Dan, how do you see the industry evolving, say, over the next 12 to 24 months? I, I see massive consolidation. <laughs> There's, you know, tens of a thousand security companies, predominantly the majority of those were those, you know, network security control companies, firewalls, regular. Now, and but the fastest growing sector of the cybersecurity marketplace is the data-centric security market. It's growing at a compound annual growth rate of 24%. It's estimated to, to be $24 billion by uh, 2026. And um, so that marketplace is massive. And we are one of the handful of companies in there that genuinely do it and have been doing it for a long time with the pedigree that we've got. So, so I see uh, massive consolidations. I think a lot of mergers and acquisitions are on the card. We're very selective about who we did. We recently acquired CypherPoint in the marketplace, but we are seeing the movement of that consolidation happening now. And and the marketing trends will come out and everyone will be a, a zero trust data-centric security company. That's the, that'll, That marketing will, is already starting to come. So there'll be a lot of confusion in the marketplace, but a lot of consolidation. And, and you know, we, we, we need to make sure that we're in the strongest position to protect the, uh, the shareholder value. Well, there you go, folks. A company to watch, Arctis AR9. Daniel Lai, CEO of Arctis. Many thanks for your time and all the best in the future. Thanks, Justin, for the opportunity and thanks to the listeners.